Well, good morning, Community Church. Who's excited to worship our King today? I mean, in the midst of all this stuff, let me tell you something. He is the one we need to call on. And we have the opportunity right now to call on his name. So we are going to do that. We are going to come before the throne room of God, and we are going to honor him. Because he is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is the one who brings freedom. He is the one who brings life. He is our king, and he is our God. Amen? So, Father, we come this morning, and we say, you are worthy of your worship. You are worthy of your worship. And this morning, we choose to honor you. We choose to love you. And we say that you are good in Jesus' name. So let's honor him this morning. Let's pause for a quick second. We just come out of three amazing days. And a lot of the comments I've had from visitors is about the atmosphere here, the people here, and... uh, Questions are coming, how, why, you know, what leads to this? And those are important questions. But let me underscore something right here, right now, is the most important thing is the divide between those who are giving and those who are receiving. The culture that we've tried to create here is that you are not here to receive, you are here to give. And that, that the atmosphere that's created that causes others to receive is, is based on the fact that you are here to give. And that when we are worshiping, see, this culture has entered the church that worship is for you to receive. Worship is not for you to receive. Worship is for you to give. Worship is about enthroning him, about you giving him The glory due his name. And yes, that does create an atmosphere. It does create a response from heaven that causes you to get something. But if we start from the premise that we're here to receive, we're going to miss the thing. Because he must be served first. He must be served first. And so, yeah, receive if God comes on you. But let's, let's, let's give. Let's give him the glory due his name. As we're singing this, don't, don't get passive. Don't, don't make yourself the guy that's sitting at the table at the restaurant being fed. We are giving this morning. Let's give him what he deserves. There's a sound of faith that causes heaven to come to the earth. The prayer that Jesus told us to pray is not primarily words, it's faith. Faith can articulate text, but you can articulate text without faith. And faith begins with a sound. You know, when Elijah prayed for his servant, he said, Lord, open his eyes to see. Right now, we pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of your church to see, God, what it is that fuels your kingdom on earth. God, I pray in Jesus' name. 
that you would create a divide, Lord, between the complacency of an academic theoretical faith that waits for heaven to move and the faith of action that begins with somebody who believes and causes heaven to respond to that faith. God. There was a reason why there were chariots of fire and horsemen around Elijah. Because he was the father of the nation. He was the spiritual father of that nation. He was the epicenter of the manifestation of the kingdom of God on the earth in Israel at that time. And it wasn't the geography that mattered as much as it was him and his faith. And this is what Jesus said. Don't, don't you realize that there, I, one word and 10,000 angels. Don't you realize? From this time forward, Thomas, you're going to see angels ascending and sending. Not Thomas, the other guy. As angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Don't you realize that there, the believing community is the epicenter of the kingdom of heaven on earth? And worship causes the constructs of what is in heaven to begin to come to earth. God, we say, let the reality of the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven begin to be realized. Lord, in these moments of crisis, Father, greater is he who is with us. Greater is he who is around us. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Listen, God is trying to bring us up to a place of faith. David had the audacity to say, a thousand may fall at my right hand and 10,000 at my right side, but it will not come near me. That's the declaration of faith. You say, yeah, but what if you die? I'd rather die walking in faith than live propelled under unbelief. Because I know, I know who we believe. I know who my Redeemer is. Father, we pull on the life-giving power of the kingdom of heaven. God, (laughs) come on, pull, pull. I am a son, I am a daughter, I am a child of the living God, He will not forsake me. Faith and belief is being perfected in the earth. And a people are going to stand that will be distinguished from every other people on the face of the earth. This has always been God's plan. When Israel emerged out of Egypt, it was the presence of God and His sustaining power with them that distinguished them from every other people on the face of the earth. We exist for the exact same purpose, to magnify him, to glorify him, to demonstrate a dependency and the sufficiency of his provision. And if we're not doing that, then our faith is is useless. If we're not doing that, especially in the time of crisis, then what what are we made for? But I'm telling you, God is wanting to pull us into something he'd been waiting to show off his kids. He's been waiting to show off his kids. Jesus said, 
Wisdom is justified of her children. And God is saying, man, world, just wait. I got some kids that I've been preparing and shaping and molding and training. And I'm about to show you who they are. I'm about to show you who my family is. I'm about to show you my government. I'm about to show you my power. I'm about to show you my hand upon a people. So, Father, we say, we, as the objects of your love, we love you, and we want to show the sufficiency of your grace. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Every single one of us has some kind of ridiculous, sordid past. And we're not here standing in our accomplishments. We are here standing saying, if you see anything in me, I'll tell you what, I'm not any kind of a craftsman. But I'll tell you who is. God who has made me. And you can think of the worst of the worst of the worst, the most despicable human being. And that was the trajectory that I was on until he grabbed me out of the miry clay, out of the depths of darkness, depression and evil and sin, degradation. That's where I was going, and that's what my power, that's what my righteousness would have done for me. But I tell you what, God has a different plan for me, and God has a different plan for you. If you're watching here and you're in depression and you're in darkness and there are shackles and chains on your life, I'm telling you that Jesus Christ, the hand of God, the Father, is upon your life. He's there for you and not far away. Amen. But uh, so we have John here and Dick here and Michael here. But Dick has a word. Come on up, Dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick and Joan have been pioneers in the nation of Canada, and we won't give it, go into their history, but they have they have opened the doors not only for uh, many, many others, but for us. Their apostolic ministry made a way. That's what apostolic ministries do. They make a way for other things. Anyway, Dick, share, share with us that word you have. Yes, uh, Joan is laying before the Lord. Uh, no, actually, um, I should explain that in 2013 and 2014, she went through a cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which if you know anything about designations, it uh, ranks as one of the worst, most aggressive cancers that you can get. Uh, because of her age when she was diagnosed, they said to her, we're very sorry to say this, but just even the diagnosis is a death sentence, pretty much. And then the fact that you're older is, you know, you're not in your prime of life, it's probably even worse. And uh, fortunately, uh, by that I mean fortunately, God had his hand in that, and uh, it, it was caught early enough. And, uh, and we did go through the entire treatment. We prayed through every stage. In fact, uh, when she went through everything, and then they said, you, you can start chemo, uh, and radiation. She, we prayed about it again, and we felt, this is just like Pastor Chris said, you know, we trust God, but we're not stupid, right? We stop at stop signs. We drive on the right side of the road. We're not stupid, you know. But so we, we did, prayed about it, and we felt, you know, we know the devil. We feel you're healed, but he can come in through the back door. I'm saying this because a lot of people deal with cancer, and then they, some get into this extreme, well, if you take any treatment, you're not trusting God. No, that's foolishness. 
That's foolishness. And so uh, we went through the whole process. But through the process, the treatment was so aggressive that it really, really hit her immune system. And so we have to watch her, uh, meaning I have to watch her, uh, to uh, just really make sure she gets her rest. And if she gets uh, out of the rest, then she can get really, really sick quite easily and quickly. But I want you to know that she was here for the most of the conference. And you didn't probably notice any of that. And, you know, that's why. You just do the right things. And so that's wisdom for coronavirus. You know, as uh, your pastor was sharing too, and Mark, Mark, you said something. Uh, you said, you said, when you come to this church, it's about giving, not receiving. And you just nailed the culture, and including church culture, where the focus is, what do I get? How does and and if you talk to people about churches, they well, you know, I don't feel, you know, and they and they'll relate to everything to themselves, and yet that's not what the God calls us to do. There's nowhere in the scripture that God calls us to do but that. Now, let me just qualify this. There are churches of various kinds. I have something I feel would be good for this church. But uh, there's different kinds of churches. That, you know, in the, in the scripture says the measure. It talks about the measure that's given to every man. The word is metron in the Greek. And the metron means a boundary. It's, it sets a boundary. And, uh, and so... Paul talked about his metron, and he said, I, I intend to extend the metron God's given me through the work that he did. So every church has a metron. And some churches have like a, a regional, or a neighborhood metron. Some churches have a city-wide metron. Some have a regional metron. Some have a provincial metron. And then there's other churches that have national and international metron. And the international is not so unusual because many are missionary-minded churches. You've probably been in some. And I just am astounded when I'm in one. And they're just so mobilized. They've got teams going everywhere. And, and the money flows in for that. That church is operating in an international metron. Well, they sensed here today when I came, this church does not have your average metron. I'm going to let that seal up. And if you don't know that, then I'm going to tell you again. This church does not have that metron. And when you come to a church like this, you need to adjust to the fact that this church has a calling that's different than others. Because what took place in the last three days is very significant. There was a shift in the spiritual realm. There was something done where this church ascended and the group that was here into the heavenly realms and actually activated things in the spirit realm. Now, if this church doesn't know that and thinks, well, wh- why don't we just do things like other churches? They're going to under that church could come under assault, spiritual assault, and it could be weakened or even divided. Now, I say this from experience because Joan and I started our third church. So we called it Third Day, but that's not really why. We called it Third Day because on the third day, Christ arose and everything changed, right? Uh, and not only that, I find that no matter where I go, people say, what do you do? I pastor Third Day Church. Why do you call it Third Day Church? And I'm surprised how many people don't make the connection. But I said, well, Jesus rose on the third day, and then everything changed. Death was destroyed. Oh, I see. It was a great witnessing opportunity. So we co- and then the Lord spoke to us and said, this will be your greatest. It's, it's actually two ministries. We have Third Day Church and Dominion Broadcasting. And he spoke to us then. This is a prophetic promise. He said, this will be your greatest work. And uh, we've been through 
two others. And the first one, uh, we pastored a church in Lethbridge called Victory Christian Fellowship on the highway. We had 40 acres, had a 50,000 square foot building. And during our tenure there, the church grew to over 1,100 people. And we were doing outreach and home groups and, and great uh, Sunday, you know, these, these great uh, illustrated sermons and, and people were getting saved. And then in the process, God began to thrust a mantle on me f- for the nation. Now, I never really ever felt called to be a broadcaster, but I just knew that we needed it. I just knew we, if we don't get the airwaves in our nation, our nation is not going to change. And I became passionate about that. Now, really, all I ever wanted was to get a TV program on and, and just preach on air and, and minister to the nation. I never wanted to be a broadcaster. But one thing, you know, it's, this is how God works. He puts a hook in your mouth, and he drags you to places where you didn't think you were going to go. And he didn't consult me either. said, I mean, that's the goodness of God, because he takes us where we may not want to go in our own will. So I want to encourage this church. You're carrying a mantle that is different than probably any other churches. Don't even go comparing yourself to other churches because it's not comparable. And you need to rise to the mantle you have because in the process you will be blessed. In the process you will receive the metron that's on your church. If you're sitting there talking about why do they do this, why do they do that, you're disconnecting yourself from the metron, the mantle, the anointing that's on this house, and then it's not flowing into your life the way you need it to be. So I love what Pastor Mark said. He said, this is about giving when you come. Oh, I thought, oh man, how many pastors would say that? Very few at this time in our North American culture. It's all about you and everything. And, and we pander to you. Uh, there's churches now that, that I was aware of that used to be just Holy Spirit churches. The first thing they say when they open the service, we'll have you out. In under 60 minutes, and they're proud of it. Now, I don't know about that. I mean, that's fine, being good stewards of time. I'm not critical of that. But I don't like the, pro- I don't like the posture. The posture is we're not going to inconvenience you in any way. Well, if you were in the services the last three days, you know that's totally obliterated. <laughs> that's, uh, there's, <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no uh, validity to that, is there? But I just wanted to say this, in our first ministry, as I began to focus on opening the airwaves, and uh, some don't even know this story, but uh, the fact is that there was, it was illegal to have uh, any religious organization to have a, a broadcast license, radio or television, and I began to challenge that. I challenged it by putting up a pirate broadcast. <laughs> Arr, matey, huh? I don't know if you knew this. I, I put up a 20-watt transmitter and began rebroadcasting Christian television in our city. And then we had the DOC, the Department of Communications guys, four big burly guys came in to see me in my office. And, and they're standing at me and they're saying, we don't believe that you, pastor, would, would even break the law like this. I want to tell you honestly, I was quite intimidated, but, but suddenly the spirit of might came on me. And I, I honestly rose up from my desk and I began to point my finger and says, how dare you, the government, tell the church that they can't broadcast and how can you treat us and mistreat us when you give a license to anybody else, you know? And I was really quite bombastic with them. And, and um, these guys... 
these guys are standing in my office, they're in uniform and everything, and they said, you know, what they had told me, it's, it's a fine of $200,000 a day. I said, well, I'll last 15 minutes then. So, you know, and uh, so anyway, what happened is these two, four guys, they, they kind of look at me and like, and they step back a little and they go, we had no idea you felt like this. And then, you know what, their whole posture changed. And they said, you know, your signal isn't quite perfect. We could go tweak your transmitter so that it... <laughs> uh, Today, that industry is called... That, it's not called the Department of Communications. It's called the Industry Canada. And they were concerned about the frequency interfering with something else. So they we'll tweak your transmitter. It'll, the signal will go further and it'll be better. And so out of that, out of that illegal broadcast... And I never said, I never told them I was trying to break the law. I said, you show me a way to get a license and I'll shut it down. That's what I said all along. So anyway, the process ended up going forward. And in 1993, we successfully challenged the policy. It was changed. And then we, then I asked uh, David Maines and other leaders in the nation, are you applying for a television license? And they said, uh, oh, no, no, we don't think this is a good time. And so I said, well, somebody's got to have to do it. And so... uh, Jonah and I did it. We, we launched. I'm coming to a point about this. Because then we got into this spiritual warfare that I have never, ever seen before. We had such unusual accidents and things. We had about 12 young people, youth from our youth group, killed in car accidents, head injuries. Now that's not coincidental. There was spiritual warfare on a very high level. And I'm telling you this for a reason. Because this church just experienced some spiritual warfare on that principality level. And there are always high level levels of warfare that go with that. And all you need to do is just stand together. All you need to do is stand in the vision. Just do not move. Do not move. Keep your posture. No matter what the devil is saying. Because the metron, that's the metron in this place. So anyway, let me complete the story. We did get a license. Then we felt thrust, it was thrust on us. We started the Miracle Channel. And uh, 1995, we, got, we actually got our first license. It's history. April 4th, 1995. First Christian license ever issued in our nation. And from there, we, we expanded it to a TV station locally. And then I, uh, in 90s, but through that time, I felt a tension develop in the church. And there were people over here saying, we just want a church. We want to just come and receive. We just want a comfortable place to be. And then we had these others. They're all the warriors. They are in the prayer room too. <laughs> You'll keep pushing, you know, and then let's, let's take the nation. And that tension actually ended up really removing that church from its purpose and destiny for a period of time. And then we, we did uh, release the church in 1997 and we took the Miracle Channel and developed it and, and over the next three years and expanded it across the nation, then into the U.S. and other places. And, and, uh, and it became a very prophetic broadcast. And at the same time, we had also had to launch a church, and, and at that time, we began to sense the same tension a little bit. Those who didn't want to be engaged with the vision and those who did. And so I don't want to belabor that because we all got past that, and then there was an issue that came up in my life, and, and it ended up, nothing ended up well out of that. 
uh, Joan and I went through a real wilderness experience for five years. And then God called us to start uh, a new work. And today that's what we're doing. And we really believe that God has given us a much better plan and purpose. But my heart was touched this morning, and I don't want to belabor all that. That's my history. But I wanted to just say to you, Mark, and then to Chris, and uh, to this congregation, that to understand these dynamics, because what happened here was very significant. In fact, it even happened on the first night, which was really struck me, is that this whole conference and this church ascended to a new level in the spiritual realm. And it was very clear to me. And then Dennis Weedrick put a lot of uh, definition to it for us. And then beyond that, uh, we began to move just forward and see God strategically just move. But I said to Pastor Mark, I said, you know, it's really hard when you hit the high point on the first night. You know, now where do you go? And, uh, and I just wanted to encourage you. Uh, well, we, and as a matter of fact, we did go. And on the final night when Joan and I were coming, uh, that was last night, I guess. It feels a long time ago already. But uh, I said, I said, you'll see, rejoicing will break out. And it did. And the rejoicing and the joy that was going on here was a prophetic act. It says that we will tread. I read this scripture last night, but uh, Luke ten nineteen. But that you tread on scorpions and serpents and all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. And this is what happened. Now, I'm not saying there's going to be retribution, be scared. No, I'm going to say just be aware that that's where you are. You're doing warfare in those heavenly realms and that God has given you the metron. That's the good news. He's given you the authority and the measure and the metron to deal with those things. You know, in Acts uh, chapter 12, that's the same thing that happened. The church in Antioch suddenly became different from all the other churches because they ministered unto the Lord. That's what happened this week. They ministered unto the Lord. No, no, not the other way. It says they ministered to the Lord. And what happened? It says the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've set for them. And the entire New Testament shifted at that juncture. The whole focus moved from Jerusalem to reaching the Roman Empire. And Paul and many others ended up going right to the emperor and preaching to them. Do you see how significant that was? And not every church stayed with Paul on that mission. So I'm just encouraging you today, stay on this mission. Stay on the vision. Stay on the purpose. Do what, I was in the prayer room, I was watching the conference, people praying all over. Cameron, uh, where are you? Right there, standing over there praying the whole time. Phenomenal. Come on. This is phenomenal. I want you to give the ones that have worked here so hard a big hand, but I just want to commend you, and I want to... Well, I can't command you, but I'm going to say I want to encourage you to stay on the track and understand the metron that God has given you. Yeah. You know, we that's a theme certainly we have uh, dealt with and addressed over the years, and, and we understand some of the challenges related to be the kind of, of church we are, but it at the same time, it doesn't mean that there isn't some of the typical things that are necessary in the church because you still have people who need to be pastored. I mean, the, the, the fact is, and again, 
I, I believe there's a message for the entire body of Christ in terms of establishing what I believe is a proper trajectory into maturity. And I think, you know, there are, uh, there is a cross-section of leaders who have abdicated their role uh, to raise up people into maturity and are content to run kindergartens and, and nursery centers for spiritual Christians and that, uh, and that they just simply gather and they're actually content to keep them at an immature level. But one of the key transition points between the mature and the immature is about giving and receiving. That threshold between giving and receiving is the is this most significant threshold between whether you become a mature believer or whether you don't. And uh, numbers of us have talked about this. Kim Wheeler has been here, and he's talked about this fact, where, where that moment came when he suddenly realized that the call of God was not for you to receive. That church was not for you to receive. And I remember he was looking for a church in uh, West Kelowna. And uh, he saw this church. His wife said, I think we're supposed to go there. And he went to the Lord and said, Lord, what is this church going to do for me? And, uh, and, and uh, he said, who, who said you were there to receive? And so they came, it, it, it shifted his understanding of his role because he had become sufficiently mature that now it's time for you to not only defend for yourself, but defend for others. And, um, and if we don't, if we keep per- people in perpetual service, this consumer mentality, they will never grow up. And that is a sickness that is perpetuated. We see it in our culture. And again, I go back to the same thing. It's in our culture. Because the light that shines into the darkness is the church. And if the church adopts a paradigm that keeps people in, in, in uh, perpetual immaturity, the world will do the same. And so we have a culture where young men are never encouraged to take responsibility. And the adult community is always creating safe places and protecting them from having to rise up and be the people they're called to do. And, and, and we, are, we are engaged uh, through insecurity and fear and identity and needing to control, we are facilitating that because we have a codependent relationship that we need to be needed. We need to be, uh, we need to be these. Uh, and, and, and God is saying, no, it's changing, and you better catch on to it. We better catch on to it. We better catch on to it because the world is not, and it, they're not because we're not. The, way the, the world goes the way it goes because the church has ceased to be the light that it was supposed to be. If the, if the salt is lost its savor, what good is it? And so the, the God is raising up in us into something. And uh, anyway, I wasn't going to share anything about that, but I'm passionate about this. And I'm passionate about this for, for the church in Canada. And if, I think if there was ever a message that God is saying to the leaders of Canada and pastors and leaders across this nation, it's it's time to be the kind of pastors that God has called you to be. It's time to be men and women of courage and principle. It's time to stand up and to stand in the gap. Father, in Jesus' name, raise up leaders in Canada. Father, that are willing to do that and raise an overcoming body of people. Come on, Canada. Man, anyway... uh, I want to share a couple of things because and it's, I know John has something in, in a little bit, and, but um, uh, 
our response, this, the world as it is. There's a couple of things I want to talk about the world as it is, and I want to tie it into the coronavirus. But um, uh, let, me, let me start this. This whole thing started in Wuhan. It's a place in China. As it happens, Wuhan is also the place where some of the significant Chinese apostolic leaders come out of that we've been walking with for years and years and years. So uh, that's interesting on a number of levels. And I can't say I have, you know, exact discernment as to why that is. But let me tell you what has taken place in Wuhan as this thing, the epicenter of this plague uh, uh, has developed, that the fear, the shutdown, the, uh, the melting of, of institutional, uh, you know, or industrial and economic life has started to unfold in fear. People are retreating from everything. It was the church that began to walk the streets and began to pray for the sick and begin to uh, help in every way they could. It was the church, the, the authorities, the police that were overwhelmed. And, um, and then they began to see these people who didn't know who they were. They didn't have any official status just out there helping and serving the people. Uh, you know, let me, let me share this. Whenever there's a crisis, we always celebrate the people who have that courage. And we, we look at the firefighters. I have that kind of mentality. I remember when I was a kid. It was in my DNA. Oh, I love police shows. I love, I love emergency shows. I, love fire. I wanted to be a firefighter because I looked at the courage, and I thought, this is what men are. Men are, are, men are expressions of courage. And I want to be a man. I want to be the one who, when everybody else is running from the danger, I'm running to the danger. I mean, this is when we talk about the police and the firefighters, you know, what they are. So when everybody else is scurrying, when everybody else is looking for safe places, these guys are running the opposite direction. And they are the most critical people in the time of crisis. But it takes a special kind of courage. Well, this is what the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be the people that are not running away from the danger, but we're running into the danger. And, I mean, we can say so much about that. We can say so much about that. But it is the nature of what it means to be the vehicle for saving the world. And that's what we are called to be. And, uh, and so Jesus, the church of Wuhan, the church of China, what God is trying to elicit from us is a faith response that says, listen, there is a place of safety and it's in Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll, I'll hold off on that one illustration because I know John wants to share it, but he can share it in a bit, unless you want to share that right now. But um, but I, I was running across, I was looking at some things this morning. There was a, a prayer by uh, put out in response to this fasting that's going on. But in uh, Matthew 4.23, we see that Jesus traveled throughout the towns and villages, and he went from house to house and healing the sick. And curing. That's what he did. He, he was healing the sick and curing. Jesus was running into the danger zone. He was running and he had solutions and he was running uh, to, to, to produce a place of safety. And so that's what we're called. And that's great. And that's going to be, I think, the expression. I believe that there's a great divide happening right now between those that are walking in the spirit of death and those that are not. There's a scripture in Hebrews 2, and it says this. It says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him 
who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now this is a, this is a critical, critical, critical principle, but also it stands as a, as a, a point of assessment for where we are. Are we free from the fear of death? My wife tells this wonderful, inspirational story about how I encouraged her in a time of fear, a time of torment in her life when, when she had a, contracted an infection. And um, she, she wasn't really taking care of it, so, but we took her to the hospital. It was a big red inflamed part of her body. I can't remember what, it was ankle, leg or something. Anyway, but uh, she was like, well, you know, what, you want me to take intravenous treatments? Why? Can't you just give me some pills? I'll go home. He said, no. And at that time, uh, Bouchard, this politician had just lost his leg due to this infection, said that thing that he lost his leg, that's what you have. You, you have that infection. And, you know, Wendy was, what? <laughs> okay, intravenous is good. Yeah, let's do this. Anyway, so me as the, the great comforter, I was there standing by her side. And, uh, and in my mind, I'm thinking about root causes and root solutions. Uh, you know, I'm not so pastoral. Uh, but I, I'm saying to her, listen, listen, all of these things exist. We come under bondage through the fear of death. And what we need to do here is we need to get you free from the fear of death. So you've got to call the bluff right now. So you've got you to say to fear, what's the worst that can happen? You know, if I die, I die. Like, you know, it's okay. I can marry somebody else. I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, she said I did. Did I really? Okay. Anyway, it was all well intended. Maybe it wasn't the most sensitive thing to say, but it's hitting at, it's hitting at the real problem. The real problem. Is not what it is that's assaulting us. It's the bondage. It's the captivity. It's the fear. That's the real problem. What's being perpetuated and what's facilitated is fear. Fear is faith. Fear is faith. Fear is a belief that we respond to. We believe something such is going to happen. The more you believe it, the more you insulate yourself to because of your anticipation. The more heightened your anticipation, the more you fear. The more you believe the inevitable is coming. Oh, it's, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Faith is an investment. I mean, fear is an investment of faith towards your destruction. Fear is an investment of faith towards your destruction. You know, you, and this is the point, this is the point, this is the point, this is the point. This thing is not meant to be sentimental. This thing is not supposed to be, supposed to be ritualistic. It's not supposed to be ceremonial. It's not supposed to be historical. Faith is now. Faith is what you believe right now. Do you believe that he is a God that raises the dead? If you believe he's the God that raises the dead, then you have no fear of death. Now, obviously, carnal expressions of that pretend faith is foolishness, and, and we understand the difference. 
But let me tell you, right now, and I, I'm not mad and I'm not upset at people, but I'm disappointed. People are disappointed at me. Go ahead. I welcome you to be disappointed with me. I'm often disappointed with me. <laughs> but when Christians substitute fear for wisdom, and when Christians represent fear as wisdom, we do a disservice to everything that is our primary calling. And, you know, and I think, what hypocrisy. What hypocrisy that we stand and we wave hankies and we celebrate and we say amen when we talk about the great men and women of faith down through history. When we, when we, when we hear about their, you know, let me, I was going to read it. I'm going to do that right now. But when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, Anybody ever read Hebrews chapter 11? It's a great passage. Let me read some of these things because it'll inspire you. It'll, it'll, it'll give some definition, and there's so much to be said, so I'm going to skip ahead to, to you know, the, the, the bullet points. Uh, the writer of Hebrews was a bullet point kind of person. But this is what he says. He says uh, uh, in verse 24, By faith, Moses... When he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, uh, it says in verse 27, he forsook Egypt. Verse 29, verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. By faith, he kept the Passover. In other words, he said, listen, there's a huge plague coming. There's a huge plague coming. Death is coming. It's going to come on all the land. It's going to come, and it's going to take the firstborn of every family on the face of the earth. But, hey, here's the solution. You, you take a lamb. And you kill it, you take the blood, and you put it on your doorposts. Well, wouldn't it be better if we just left? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be better if we just maybe had no contact with other people? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be best if we shut down the stores and, and shut down the hotels and shut down the airlines? And wouldn't it be better? Listen, listen, this, this issue, how we deal with it, we are being distinguished by faith or fear. But if you don't really believe these stories matter or they're not really real, then you can still be the kind of Christian that celebrates and when somebody says, well, look at the courage of Daniel. Oh, yeah, the courage of Daniel. Yet when you have an opportunity to be in that moment, we scurry. You know, despite all my sense of adventure, all my sense of courage, you know, I wanted to be that guy. I remember this moment when the Lord showed me yeah, you don't have it in you to be that guy. I was at Bible College of Christ for the Nations. And, you know, I was, I was a new Christian, but I still had a lot of, you know, I, w- I want to be a savior kind of person. Anyway, I want to be that hero. I want to be looking for those moments when I can be the hero. Anyway, I'm sitting there one day, and I'm sipping on a, I don't know, we didn't have a bottle of water then or something. I was sitting there, and it was a nice, really nice day in Dallas, Texas. And I'm, all of a sudden, somebody's driving their car about, about 100 feet away from me, and and they stop, and smoke starts coming out of the, out of the car. Thinking, hmm. And, and uh, the person gets out, and they, you know, pull the lever on the hood, and the hood pops up, and <laughs> smoke just starts going. Next thing you know, boom! There's a little explosion, and there's flames shooting out. Sitting there, that that car's on fire. <laughs> wow, sucks to be you. And that person scurrying around, you know, not knowing what to do. And I'm thinking, man, man, 
Somebody should do something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy I know, he runs over to the, the place, you know, where they had the fire extinguisher, and he smashes the glass, and I'm like, oh, I love smashing things. Like, he smashes the glass, comes over, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what were you doing? Here's a moment to be a hero, and you sat there like a casual observer. I mean, you, it didn't even pop into your mind to do anything. Some hero you are. What are we supposed to be in this moment for the world in its moment of crisis? Swept up in passivity, swept up in, in sleep, slumber, unable to act, unable to realize these are defining moments us to step forward and be the mercy of God, the expression of confidence and faith. What if everything that God has done in your life up to this moment was to prepare you for this season and this time? And we capitulate to fear. You see, fear is the main enemy here. The writer of Hebrews is basically saying, listen, the dominion of the kingdom of darkness, the activities of Satan and principalities and powers, the mayhem, the death, the destruction, the captivity of nations and cities, the, the, the stranglehold the darkness has over the world can be traced to one key linchpin, fear. And if you pull that out, if you remove that, everybody goes free. Fear is the great destroyer. So he's, he goes on. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, harlot the Rahab did not perish. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle. Turn the flight to flight. The armies of the aliens, women receive their dead, raised to life again. And then it says, but there was others who ran into the fray and they were tortured and they were killed by the sword and they were sawn asunder and they died. But their faith was no less than the others. Faith is manifest in the fearlessness in the face of death. Fearlessness in the face of torment. Fearlessness. And how dare we sit in our churches and celebrate Daniel in the lion's den, yet refuse when that moment to come. We would have been his counsel as I said, Dave, Daniel, I know you got a lot of favor and God has made, but do you really want to risk the position that you've been given in this? In, 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 do you realize the place you have? You are a Jew in, in Babylon. You are one of the rulers of Babylon. Do you really want to risk that? Is this wisdom? Is this wisdom? 
I mean, you have so much possible. You, you know what? You know, if you play your cards right, you could be whispering in the, in the king's ear. You could be, you know, do you really want to all risk that all for, you know, everybody knows you're a person of faith. Why do you always have to throw it in everybody's face? You're just poking the king here. You're, you're really, come on, D- Daniel, you got an opportunity here to really be influential. That's, that's spiritual political spirit that steals the effectiveness of the church and pastors and leaders are coming under it and there is a calling out there is a calling out there is a calling out you cannot finesse yourself into places of authority and you know you cannot preserve your place in this life in this world through fear and by playing your cards right and using quote, unquote, wisdom, which is really a facade for fear, unbelief, ambition, and pride. Where is the church that God is raising up? Come on. It's it's hypocrisy to say we believe, but then in the moment. Inaction defines... Us, passivity, complacency, diving for cover. I won't do it. And I don't know whether I'll be sawn asunder. I don't know whether I'll be in jail. I don't know whether I'll shut the mouths of lions or be those ones, those Christians that were consumed by the lions. But I know I don't care because the end of this road that they call death is not death to me. It is a veil that I'm walking right through. It is a veil that you've been made to walk right through. And a part of why this, our worship is so significant is because you're walking through that veil every day. Every time you worship, every time you come here, you're walking through that veil. And God is saying, listen, I'm trying to convince you there's something on the other side of this veil. So then when the veil comes and presents death to you, you've already been trained. You know, I walk right through this. And whether death gets me or not, I'm free. One way or another, I'm free. That's faith. Faith says this is not the end. This is the beginning. Now, when God is leading a people into battle, he's got Gideon there. and I, remember, I, I might be getting my stories mixed up, but when they go to the brook and some of them are afraid, it's all right. Anybody's afraid, go home. Go home, man. You don't have to be a part of the overcoming company. You don't have to pretend for our sake. But there's there's going to be a people that overcome. There's going to be the people that run into the fray and are the answer to crisis. And you, you may not be a part of that company. But you're called. Many are called. Few are chosen. We have an opportunity to be both called and chosen. And the work that God is doing in your life right now, not only in this crisis, everything he's doing is calling you to lay your life down. Whether it's laying your life down 
by serving your husband or your wife or your children or whatever it is, whatever the Lord has called you to lay your life down the way you've done this week in the church, whether you're laying your life down in evangelism or outreach or, you know, venturing on things for the kingdom of God, it's all about laying your life down because I don't fear death. I don't fear annihilation. I will not bow to that voice, that tormenting, threatening voice. I will not. Somebody's going to be that people. I just don't want to be the guy standing back until it's too late realizing I could have been a part of the solution. I could have grabbed. I thought, what's the matter with me? Why didn't I break the glass? Why didn't I go for the extinguisher? Why didn't I do that? (laughs) You don't want to stand in front of the Lord one day you don't want to you don't want to stand back when when all of a sudden this crisis is averted and a people step forward and 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 you realize oh, I was a part of the ones panicking and running and it was nothing it was nothing there's this funny episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza finds himself at a kid, children's birthday party and uh, and anyway, he's there, and I can't remember how it happened. There was some kind of fire on the stove or something, and he yells fire, and he beelines it out of there. He's knocking women and children over on his way out, and 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 after after that, I mean, it's 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 embarrassing. Everybody's shocked at the cowardice, and he said, "Well, I, uh, I wasn't I wasn't escaping. I was making a way." But the shame of his situation when the reality of his posture is coming to light, you know, it's funny. Unless there was a world waiting to be saved and God had assigned us the responsibility to save it. Now, there's so many other things related to this. and I was going to talk about it, but let me just point in your direction. There are things happening that are beyond our understanding right now, and I believe I believe there are unintended consequences of responding to fear that are worse than this this thing itself. And the unintended consequences has to do with the system of darkness. You see, it has always been the object the hope, the designs of the kingdom of darkness to rule the entire world. And if you have read anything about history, you realize this, that the greatest advancement in the enslavement of nations and peoples is always in moments of crisis. Moments of crisis and need always give permission, not just permission, the people at times demand, demand, authoritarian governmental overreach that once it happens it becomes enshrined it becomes the new normal and I believe the sinister plot that's really going on behind the scenes behind even some of the legitimate measures that are there there is a spirit looking for an opportunity to enslave a free people politically spiritually and I heard these words this morning when I was praying, and, 
and said, Jesus did not give himself to them because he, un- he knew the hearts of men. You can go read it. John 2, I think it is. There's another one in John 6. He said they were coming to forcibly make him king, and he said, and he escaped from them because he knew what their real motive was. You can go back to history. Austria voluntarily invited the rulership of Hitler over Austria. They asked for it. These crises are amplified and sometimes outrightly manufactured in order that overreach be justified because there's a people trying to steal our land, our destiny, our children, and fear will be their permission. Fear. Say, well, you know, for the larger good, we should never fly again. I mean, this fear, I'm telling you, I read an article a couple years ago, and this is a different issue, but it's all global warming, another pandemic of fear. You know, we need to tax the airlines into oblivion, they said, so that only the super rich will ever be able to go anywhere, and everybody else will be back to bicycles and tricycles because, well, yeah, but it's for the planet. No, it isn't. It's unto slavery. My whole life, and I'm only 58 years old, is a a succession of theories and philosophies all designed to steal away your options. And fear, when it gets the better of you, causes you to be complicit with those that slavery and say, I'm willing that you bind my hands and take me to prison. I just got an email this morning. Friends of mine are in Spain. And he said they've been locked down. Police came and rounded them up and actually took them and said, you cannot leave your homes. She said there are drones flying over. The beaches are empty. The restaurants are empty. There are drones flying overhead enforcing what is effectively martial law. It's a lie. Amplified, 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 amplified crisis to give an opportunity to create a new norm. But if we're free from fear, if we inspire courage in others, if we live in the light of eternity and what is really real, we will not be moved. And we will find ourselves in the book of faith and maybe things will be written about the time when the Canadian church took its place. Father, God in heaven, I don't think there's an action plan to solidify this but it's a call to courage and faith, real faith. It's a call to a separation between a a Christianity that's all about the past and the future, but never about the present. It's, It's the divide between what's real faith and what's pretend faith. Father. I had actually five things for this church in the era in which you're moving. And, uh, I won't take too long, but let me, let me tell you a couple quick stories. About two years ago, and I haven't shared this publicly with anybody, but I felt to release it here. Two years ago, I had a vision of an angel. And this was an angel like I'd never seen before. And he was sitting. And as I looked, I could see he, it looked like he was a little dusty, like he hadn't been doing much for a while. And I said to the Holy Spirit, who is this angel? 
Lord said he is the angel of harvest. He is the angel that was with Charles Finney, John Wesley. And I'm about to release him on the earth because there's a coming harvest. But who knew what was coming to create harvest? But there's an angelic being who's going to come into play that's going to bring in a sweeping harvest. Now, I just want to touch on a couple points of my own life that I think might help us. When I came into the church as a, as a former drug dealer, and I came into a church uh, as a young man, I was actually not welcome. When I came into the church, I mean, I had no church background, nothing. No paradigm for what church was. No history at all. So I used to come into the church in a muscle shirt that said Gold's Gym, and it had a bulldog with a weight in its mouth. And I'd come in the church, and I wasn't very welcome. Now, this is not to condemn anybody. I want to make a couple points. I didn't find a family. I actually was more lonely in church than I was with my friends in the world. Nobody would invite me to their home. I used to sit in my house alone for days and weeks on end as a new believer. Some were warm to me. You know, they would like, oh, glad you're here. But there's something I didn't find. The first thing I didn't find was a father. I didn't find the father in the house. I went and sat with my first pastor one time and I says to him, I says, I'm having angelic beings visit me. I'm having these encounters with angels and demons. And he points at me and he goes, used to do drugs, right? I was like, he doesn't believe me. I mean, I started to withdraw into this place of loneliness and isolation. And two things happened to me. The first one was I went to a Morris, and I've never shared this anywhere, I went to a Morris Cirillo conference. I mean, Morris Cirillo was great for me in those early years. He cast demons out of me in Chicago on stage as a Christian. Spirit of suicide and murder, because I was pretty violent. And so I go to this Morris Cirillo conference in Los Angeles, and I'll make two points. I believe they apply to this church amongst a couple other things. So I go to this Morris Cirillo conference and right in the middle there's manifestations and power and there's glory. And the Lord says to me, I want you to come back to your room. I want to show you something. And I'm like, Lord, but I mean, Morris has cast demons out of me. I mean, is there more for me here? So I says, okay. So I go back to my hotel room and I'm sitting on my bed. And suddenly the Lord appeared at the end of my bed. And Jesus looked at me. Because I was so lonely. I was lonely in the church. I had very few friends. And I'd never found a father. So Jesus looks at me and he says, Son, this is how close I am to you. 
And he showed me himself right here. I could see his face. So he's standing at the end of my bed, opens his arms, says, this is where I live. Right here. And he disappeared. But his face never disappeared right here. And he said, I'm not way out there. I'm right here. I live in you. This is how close I am. So I'm in my bed, leaning against the wall. And my, this guy comes in I was sharing a, a room with. And he falls on the ground. And he goes, and, he's, and he looks up. He's on his hands and knees. He looks up over the bed. He goes, what happened in here? <laughs> he goes, there's, there's glory in the room. And he crawls on his hands and knees. And he's looking up over the edge of the bed at me. And he, and he gets in his bed. And I want to make a couple points. All that week, I could see him right here. I'm on the airplane and I'm going, I'm going, can anybody see you? Can anybody see you? He said, no, this is for you. I dwell in you. My glory is in you. And I want to come out. There's a glory in the house and the family. There's a manifestation of the kingdom of the sons of God that Mark's touching on that's going to impact the world. The next thing the Lord did for me was he gave me a father in, in, in Papa Gideon Chu. Because sometimes I needed a papa with skin on, as they would put it, to hug me and hold me. There is a glory coming to the, to the church, a manifestation of the Father's love that is going to come right from here that the world may know. I saw yesterday a pool of love here, right here. The people are going to come into this house and find family and find the love of the Father unprecedented. You are called to be lovers of men. I've been having encounters with Papa like never before. And he wants to manifest his love and his glory that the world may know. Mark and I were in Hong Kong. Walk up to the McDonald's counter. I think I might have shared this. Walk up. Look at the girl who's under a cloud. I says, are you okay? She says, I'm having a bad day. Out of my spirit came the love of the Father. Just there. And I said, God loves you. And the Spirit of God fell on her. And she started to cry. And she's crying. And she's trying to take our order. And she's crying. And the other ones are going, what did the big white guy do to you? the love of the Father, the manifestation of love in culture. I didn't have to go, I think I'm going to love her. I think, okay, do I have a word? Do I have a word? John. There's a Muslim guy in our community. I've seen him. He works, uh, I'll just be a few more minutes. He works in, in a carpet installation. I've got to know him a little bit. 
he says to me not too long ago and I saw him he goes you know I'm a Muslim right I said yeah I'm a Christian he says you Christians are so confused oh why is that I said he says we have one Quran we have multiple versions of the uh, you, you Christians have multiple versions of the Bible you're so confused I said oh and I heard the Lord say don't debate this man she says, yeah, I used to argue with my roommate in college all the time about the Bible and the Koran. So I says, well, he's, he's going on. So I says, Lord, what, what do I say? The Lord said, it's not what you say, it's who you are. So I pointed at him and I said, you know what? There's one common theme in every Bible that's ever been written that's never changed. And I pointed at him and I said, God is love. And the Spirit of God hit that man like hit him and he went ah and he started to weep in a moment of time and he's weeping and he's crying and he starts to go my marriage is in trouble I'm in financial trouble I don't know what to do and he's crying for 20 minutes and when he calmed down I said Jesus is the way the truth and the life I want to pray the Father's manifestation of love from this house, from this family. Because it's perfect love that casts out fear. It is the love of the Father that is going to manifest in the coming days that the world may know. There is a love coming to the church. There is a baptism of love that the world may know. There is a place in the love of God where no virus can touch it. No demon can touch Because it's Him Himself. And that love dwells in us. It is Him. And He's saying, let me out. Let me out. Let me out. He's coming out of the church. We're going to see throughout the uh, culture of the world a manifestation of love that the world will know. There's a longing in them in Ecclesiastes, right? Eternity is in their heart. What are they looking for? Him. Father, I pray that Spruce Grove Community Church, there is a pool of love where people, and this is what I saw for this house, people are going to come in and they're going to encounter the Father's love. And they will be transformed in an instant. Right here. And what I felt the Lord was saying, it will come in some different seasons of time. As you keep moving with him, suddenly there will be these manifestations of love. But let me encourage you, when you're in a supermarket, when you're in a place, he is going to come out. Just not too long ago in Kelowna, we're, we're sitting there at one of the events for battle, and we're in the Sandman, and I'm sitting in a chair, and our waitress, uh, Indian girl, East Indian girl, keeps coming, and I could feel the Father's love. So I jumped up. I said, hello, how are you? And I said, God loves you. She goes, she goes, somebody's been taking me to church. My friend. And I said, keep going, you're going to find him. Chris, there is some strategies the Holy Spirit wants to give you. There's an evangelistic call, and there always has been. And God's saying, this house, this is a great season of transition. 
For the Lord says, I am pleased and my favor is upon this house. But the Lord says, I'm going to stir afresh the evangelism. Father, I pray a baptism of love. Father, to come over this family, this congregation. Father, that the world may know. Father, we believe in miracles, the signs and the wonders. But Father, the greatest of these is love. So Father, I pray you begin to move afresh. Stir this family. Reach out to your neighbor. Go to someone next door. Father, I pray that a baptism will sweep Spruce Grove. God, it will sweep Spruce Grove Community Church. And you will begin to see. You will begin to see salvations. God, I prophesy that that harvest angel, that that harvest angel, God's saying, I want to bring him here to Spruce Grove. I want to bring him here to Spruce Grove. For this is one of the lighthouses in the nation. Will you believe? Will you believe? Let's stand up. Father, I want to pray. Michael, come with me. I want to pray right now. God, He is in us. He dwells in us. The Creator. Listen, our Daddy is God. In Jesus' name, enlargement. Ken and Di, you are a mom and dad. We could feel your father and mother heart up here the other day when you were starting to cry out for the next generation. But I pray a baptism of love. Father, release, release, release this father and mother because God says I am going to use this church as an example to many churches for there's going to come calls, says the Lord, to this house to come and help. Are you ready? Father, in Jesus' name, bring an enlargement. Holy Spirit. I'm asking for a double. One more. One more. Double. 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 Break. Oh. More love. More love. More love. More love. Just receive it. Just receive it. Just receive it. In Jesus' name. 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 Mother of nations. Mother of nations. Mother of nations. Mother of nations. Father in worship of... In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit. Wendy Breesbaugh. Wendy, where are you? Wendy. Wendy Breesbaugh, come on up here. Father, I pray. Mark and Wendy, the Lord says today, there is coming a move of the Spirit that He is going to entrust to you both. For the Lord says, my son, my daughter, I am well pleased with you. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servants. For you have labored, you have waited upon me, you have persevered. And the Lord says in the next season, there's coming a favor upon your lives. A favor as a mom and dad for this nation. For this nation. Wendy, God wants to honor you. Your love even for your neighbors and even the things you do are a manifestation of love. You are an example. You are a mother. But there's more. And because God says he's going to honor you, we reach out to your children. All of them. All of them. Right now. Let's pray a blessing. 
Let's pray a blessing on Mark and Wendy and their children. For God says, I have heard your cry, Wendy, and I am going to intervene. Do not let go. Do not let go. Church, right now, we pray for the Breesbaugh family. We pray and prophesy the best is yet to come for their children. Father, in Jesus' name, we come against all witchcraft and every curse that has been spoken over this family. And we declare the best is yet to come. And we look for the fruit. Father, in Jesus' name, don't let go, Mark and Wendy. Don't let go. Because God says, I am going to address some things in the Spirit. And He says, I'm sending some backup. Backup in the Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name. Mark, I want to honor you not only as my friend, but I want to say I see in you an amazing, amazing transformation. God says, my son, I'm pleased with you. You're not only a father in this house, in this nation, but I can see in the future so many more nations opening up. And God says, one of the things you're going to do in the future is you are going to recreate, in a sense, fathers and mothers. What's in you is going to rub into them and you're going to see a transformation. Even in your own lives, the next nine months, the Lord says, is another birthing. Mark the day. The next nine months is another birthing in the Spirit in Jesus' name. Do you agree? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, family... Chris, come and sit, come and stand with me. We are an apostolic church, and I carry something, but he carries something. And as he has really become a son in the spirit to me, it's liberated him. There's a new wave of what he's called to do. What he does is not against what I do, and it's not different, and it's not separate. It's in line. It's in line. It's in line. But I want to say this to this body. I want you to be released to be the moms and dads that God is calling you to be. Because the growth of this body is not going to happen because our worship is so great. It's not going to be coming because our services are great. But it's going to be coming because you realize who you are. You realize that your blessing matters. And, you, you know, because sometimes, you know, the enemy's trying to lock you into self-pity and, and that sort of, oh, I, I need to receive, I need to receive. No, you need to give. You need to give. Uh, I, I was looking around the room, and there's some people here that know hardly nobody. Uh, and, and maybe you're not a part of this church. Maybe this is your first, second, third time here. But they, they, there are people that sit at home, like John was saying, between Sunday and Sunday with nobody to talk to, nobody to walk with. They have no friends. They don't know how to make friends. But there are hundreds of people in the vicinity, other Christians, and people right in this church. And all it takes is a phone call. Also say, why don't you come over and hang out with us tonight? You know, we're going to watch a Dave Ramsey video. We'll have some snacks. Come and hang out with us. Your home is a church. It is an assembly place because you are there. And people need your endorsement. You think, yeah, but people don't care about me. Don't sell yourself short. You, your endorsement, your love, it, it, it empowers something. Your home is not just your sanctuary, your castle. It's a refuge. 
for people who don't even know how to say hello to somebody in church. And they're desperate that somebody, I wonder if somebody would just invite me over for coffee. The people that do that in this church, man, you are a godsend. You are a manifestation. And if you think I'm better than you, I am not. I'm telling you, this place would be nothing without this people. It's a body. A body is raised up. Anyway, Chris, as a lead pastor, I just want to bless you. I want to bless you. I just love what you're doing. I love the, the uh, you know, as, as your heart is open, I, I, I mean, things have been falling on you. I watch things, transformations in your wife. There's a prophetic nature there that we've hardly seen. It's coming out now in waves. Just you wait. And what's coming out of you, the messages, the call, the structures that are increased the kingdom of God. Amazing stuff. God, thank you. Bless you. Let's stand to our feet. We have talked for a long time about being the body of Christ and about loving people. Now it's right in front of your faces. There's no option, folks. We've prayed for the opportunity. It is here. It is amongst us now. Be the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? So, Father, we thank you so much for what you've done today. We thank you for your servants who have come and brought the word of God. Father, we thank you that you showed up today and you speak to every single one of us. And I hope for all of you in this room that he has shown you that there is hope. There is hope in Jesus' name. So I pray the blessing of the Lord upon you as you leave in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.